Hi, it's Lynn Galadner, and welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm a writer and entrepreneur, and through decades of writing articles for magazines and newspapers and authoring books, I've learned that we succeed through inspiration from storytelling and deep and mutually beneficial relationships. This show began in 2018 after my father was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and I wanted a way to capture his stories and record his insights. It's grown since then to share stories of how people around the world make meaning from very ordinary pursuits. Now I focus on sharing the stories of writers, authors, and those in the world of publishing to learn how and why we create stories that help us make meaning from the mundane. I'm a former journalist and marketing entrepreneur, and I've been teaching writing for more than two decades. As a writing coach, I help authors build their brands and share their words. I've had eight books published already, and I just finished my second novel, so stay tuned for news about when and where you can read it. If you'd like to write with me, check out my offerings at lynngaladner.com, and you'll find more episodes of this podcast at makemeaning.org, as well as on every podcast platform you can think of. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to the Make Meaning Podcast, where you'll find stories of courageous people daring to share their talent with the world. Now, on to the show. Becky Robinson is the kind of quiet entrepreneur I love to watch, as her ascent and success have everything to do with her passion for her work and her connection with the people she works with. We met years ago through a mutual writer friend, and it was through social media that our friendship blossomed. Eventually, I even helped Becky's PR team as a consultant shaping their work as they sought exposure for their author clients. So it is a true delight to welcome Becky Robinson to the Make Meaning podcast on the eve of the debut of her first book, Reach, Create the Biggest Possible Audience for Your Message, Book, or Cause. Becky is the founder and CEO of Weaving Influence, a marketing agency that reps authors and thought leaders. Her team has helped clients launch more than 150 books while guiding authors in building their brands. Now, Becky is the brand behind Reach, and she's here today to talk about her own writing and publishing process and to offer you some tried and true tips for growing your reach. Becky, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I am so glad to be here with you, Lynn. I've been looking forward to this all week, especially after attending your virtual launch on Tuesday. And I was super impressed, though not surprised, because you had such an amazing turnout, so much energy, so much enthusiasm for for you and for your book. So I wanted to start by talking about your book marketing approach. So tell me how you created your launch and how you came up with your marketing plan for Reach. Sure. Well, my team and I have been partnering with authors for more than a decade. So our approach to book marketing has really been adapted over the years. But many of the core principles that I started when I was supporting authors back in 2012 are the same ones that we use today. Mm -hmm. So I can tell you a little bit about the components of any great book marketing campaign and the ones that we used for mine. And I'm going to talk to you through the REACH framework, which is a framework that I talk about in my book, because it really highlights all the points of how we promote our work. Yeah. So it all starts at your website because that's the place that you own and control. Mm -hmm. So when we realized that I had a book coming out, we decided that we would redo my author website Mm -hmm. at beckyrobinson.com. And we built a page dedicated to the book. Mm -hmm. Um, So if people go there, they can see an example, in my opinion, of what a good book marketing page looks like. So on my page, we have an endorsement from my book at the top. We have all the retailer links where people can buy the book. Mm -hmm. We have a sample chapter that isn't gated. So I feel like it's really valuable to put the content of your book out there for people to be able to access so they can read it or sample it before they buy it. 
Yeah. So we have uh, the, you know, a print sample chapter. We also have an audio sample mm. from my book. Um, oh, we've so po- nice. um, posted, we've posted the foreword that was recorded by my um, former client and friend, Whitney Johnson. So that's on my book website. And yeah. then we just give people, you know, an idea of what the content in the book is about. There's a, a video trailer there as well. Okay. So, you know, our website is like the center of where people can find out everything about the book and it's the center of the campaign. Mm-hmm. So from there, um, we also used email marketing as mm-hmm. we approached my book launch. And what I did is I created a dedicated list of people from my main email list who were interested specifically in the book. And then I emailed them once a month, starting in about six months out from launch with an update about what was happening with the book. And that was actually a really small list, only about 95 people. Oh, wow. Hmm. Um, And, but we also included some information about um, the book to our larger list. I have a weekly newsletter that I send every Friday. Mm-hmm. So I didn't write about the book like every single week leading up to launch, but I did mm-hmm. intermittently share high points of the journey, including you know the invitation to that virtual launch party that you attended. And yeah. we also did a pre-order webinar to drive pre-orders back in March. Mm-hmm. And so obviously we used our bigger list to invite folks to come out and hear about the book for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we also had content marketing as a part of our, our campaign. Um, although to be honest, I had really bigger aspirations as it relates to the content I plan to create. You know, I had thought I would blog every other week about the book and book launch journey, and I did not find the time for that. Um, However, I have a podcast myself. And so, you know, we were covering topics that were relevant to the book intermittently on the podcast and then shifted to topics about the book, you know, about a month or so before launch so that we could continue to drive interest. Mm-hmm. I would say the hallmark, though, of our book marketing campaigns is what we call a launch team. Mm-hmm. So, Lynn, we really kicked into gear with the launch team at the beginning of this year. And the purpose of a launch team is to drive early Amazon reviews as soon as the book comes out. Mm-hmm. Also, so, you know, a launch team can provide support by sharing the book through their social networks and through their email lists as well. Mm-hmm. And so we set a goal to get uh, like two to 300 people on my launch team. We have an established list of folks who have participated in our launches over the last decade. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to build a launch team of about 280 people. And then what we ended up doing is as soon as we had pre-publication print copies, which was about a month and a month and a half, maybe before the book publication date, Uh we sent out personalized packages to each person. They included a signed book plate that was inside the book, a bookmark, Mm -hmm. a sticker, uh, a special card, and a note that I hand signed to each person. And then beyond the launch team, we also sent about 130 more books to friends and partners, including people who were mentioned in the book, people who endorsed the book. Um, let me think who else, just like friends and family yeah. who we wanted to get an early copy to. So in all, we sent out about 400 books wow. about a month before my book came out. So I'm trying to think about the other components of our campaign. Obviously, we were leveraging social media, both mine and the company's. Yeah, I've been um, watching you. It's been fantastic. It's like, oh. you know, and, and it's funny too, because, you know, I'm in marketing and I, I'm always skeptical when people are pushing, 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 and I don't think you're doing that. It's like so you and so authentic. And I love that piece of it. It feels really uh, just original and personal. Thank you. It's something that I am definitely feeling this week of like, I know this is the time that if we were to push, we should push, but I'm trying to do it in a way that feels authentic to me and, you know, not just be like more messaging about buy the book, buy the book, but trying to add value through the process. Yeah. Um, 
We also had a, a media campaign. Like, I guess I forgot, like we've done so much, <laughs> like the amount of work just makes my head want to explode. Yeah. So I had my team working on outreach for speaking opportunities related to my book and then okay. also outreach for media opportunities. And we did, we've recorded like 16 or 18 podcasts. I wow. wrote 11 articles and contributed them for blog mm. posts and, and articles in different places. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've done a lot of like live video interviews, mm-hmm. maybe four or five of those, Okay, um, which might include the ones that we hosted too. Um, I'm not sure. So the PR team was really busy trying to place, you know, media and we tried to kind of ramp it up as launch approached. So we had a ton of media that dropped this week, mm-hmm. including like a Forbes article and several podcasts and several guest blog posts. But the idea is also to continue the momentum yeah. past launch. So we did the virtual uh, events, the webinar and the virtual launch party. And then we also have had a Facebook ad campaign running and now an Amazon ad campaign running. Nice. So, nice. and then my team threw the surprise party for me. I don't know if you saw that. I did. Um, and I actually got had that in person. I actually got an invitation to it and I couldn't because my daughter was coming back from Europe and I really wanted to be there. I thought that was so cool. Oh, it would have been wonderful to see you. It was a, yeah. it was a really special event. So yeah. I think we hit about everything possible in terms of like the various ways that you could choose to market a book. I, I hoped through the journey also to really just see what was possible and then be able to share that with those authors who are coming to me for support. Oh, yeah. there's one more thing we did. We also yeah. built a course okay. and it's a free course. Mm-hmm. So anyone who buys my book, there's a QR code at the end of every chapter mm-hmm. and all you have to do is, you know, give us your email address and answer a few quick questions. And then you get this course. It has 50 extra resources to help people who want to go deeper with the learning. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Like how long did it take you? I mean, I was going to ask you how long it took you to write the book, but now I want to know how you came up with all these extra pieces too. Like take me through that process. Well, sure. So part of it was that we repurposed content that we already had as Mm -hmm. it relates to the course. So as I was writing the book, and I can definitely tell you how long it took me to write the book. um, So I submitted my book proposal in December of 2020. And Mm -hmm. I got my um, contract with my publisher in February of 2021. And then my first draft of the book was due in July. Mm -hmm. And then once I got you know, edits and feedback back. My final draft was due in September. And then we went into copy editing. So the journey of writing the book really began um, in February. And then the final book went to print on January 24th of this Mm. year. So it was almost a year, you Mm -hmm. know, of working with the content in various ways. As it relates to the course, the way that we pulled the course together and literally we got it done just in time. But as I was writing the book, I listed the additional resources that we would include in the course. Mm. And some of them already existed and some of them didn't. But um, for every person who I interviewed to feature their story in the book, we kept those interviews. Some of them became podcast episodes that we embedded in the course. Mm -hmm. And the ones that didn't become podcast episodes, we just put the audio in the course. Okay. And then some of the extra resources in the course are free webinars that we've done at various times. And we Mm -hmm. embedded that video in the course. Mm-hmm. Or I also have a workshop that I do with authors. And so we created a lot of resources for the workshop that we've repurposed into the course as well. Okay. So people can get those resources on demand or they can experience them and get them when they, you know, pay for our course. I mean, for the workshop, sorry. Yeah, yeah. 
So tell me a little bit about your writing process. Like I know that you're a busy entrepreneur, you run a team, you have a family, there's a lot going on in your life. So when you decided to to do this book, did you carve out time every morning to write or like how did you fit it in so that you'd make that deadline and, and be really, you know, happy with what you produced? Sure. So I tend to enjoy writing more, Lynn, when I have mm-hmm. a block of time. Okay. And um, I also am a runner. And so like part of my, my just like keeping my life together, oftentimes running is the thing that I do in the morning. Mm-hmm. So rather than trying to be like an everyday writer on the book, I blocked off chunks of time to dive deep to work on the, the book, especially in the first draft phase, I, mm-hmm. I wanted to have more blocks. So typically it would be a Friday. I would block off, you know, eight to noon from mm-hmm. my normal business activities, mm-hmm. or honestly, quite often I would write on Saturday mornings mm-hmm. or Sunday afternoons or mm-hmm. in the evening at the, you know, after my workday had concluded. Okay. I, so- it was really difficult to fit it in, in the midst of work. So you kept up your full entrepreneurial schedule and everything else while adding this in. I did. I took very little time away from my business. Wow. 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 So it's interesting, you know, I, I read the book in one sitting. I actually didn't intend to. I sat down to like start it and then I thought I'd come back to it, you know, before um, I prepped for this interview and I just kept going <laughs> and I was like highlighting and like making notes and stuff. Um, and so one thing that really impressed me early on in the book was when you mentioned that you think your clients don't want fame and fortune, but they want meaning, purpose, and a desire to make a difference through their life and work, which of course resonated with me, you know, the Make Meaning podcast. It's what I'm all about. So I wanted to to probe that a little bit with you. Do you do you think this is what guides most people in business, you know, or is this um, a luxury reserved for entrepreneurs and leaders? Um, you know, just tell me like, a little more about that. That's a really, really good question, Lynn. And I've actually had some conversations with my husband because I think there's really a fine line as it relates to like what drives and motivates us to do what we do. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly, you know, you can do both. Like you can want meaning and money. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it's not necessarily that they are mutually exclusive. And what I what I have noticed is that, you know, for most of us, of course, we have mixed motives. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yes, I want to make meaning and share my message and make a difference. And I, I have this desire to be generous and give away as much of my content for free as I can. Mm-hmm. But I also have a payroll to, yeah. to meet each month and yeah. overhead expenses and kids to put through college and, you know, mm-hmm. all those other things. So that, and I do think it is somewhat of a luxury mm-hmm. for some of us. So one of the chapters in the book um, is related to, you know, people who may come from marginalized communities or identities and how it might be more difficult for them to create reach. And the reason is because, you know, if you are in a situation where your financial and time resources are are limited, like you really are like in this fight to just survive. Yeah. And you might not have the luxury of saying like, oh, I'm going to give away, you know, content that could be a course that people paid for, or, you know, I'm going to create a podcast because I want to share ideas and, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to foot the bill for that. Like, you know, when we come from a place of abundance or privilege or blessing or having more than we need Mm -hmm. um, and being able to invest in, in giving the content that we create to others, it's hard to understand what it's like on the other side. And I'm sure even, you know, even people who don't have the luxury that we have, they also want meaning and they oh, want yeah. their life to be significant. So I, yeah. I guess I'm kind of rambling on that, but <laughs> um, it's definitely something I think a lot about, Lynn. And um, there's so much ego, I think, that comes in when people write books. Yeah. And 
so I just want to constantly check myself and then, you know, be a good sounding board to others of like, like stay, stay connected to the deepest why of what, what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So I want to talk a little bit about the four commitments in the book um, that you outline and really spend a lot of time on. So you, you list the four commitments that are needed to achieve reach as value, consistency, longevity, and generosity. So I'd love it if you could speak a little bit about each of these for our listeners. Well, I'd be so happy to, Lynn. So I think you know the reason why I start with value is because you're not going to attract an audience if you don't have anything to say. Mm-hmm. And I, I've noticed that my team and I really struggle when we meet someone, you know, maybe they've written a book, but they don't really want to share any other content or value online. Mm-hmm. And it makes it very difficult to grow an audience because the value is what, you know, people are really looking for. Mm-hmm. And the content that we create is really the vehicle of delivering that value to the world. So you really have to start with work that's good. Mm-hmm. And in the book, I talk about a guy named David Cooper Ryder, mm-hmm. who founded uh, an organizational development approach called Appreciative Inquiry. And what one of the things David told me when I interviewed him is like, work that's good is, is going to expand. And mm. so I landed on value as one of the four commitments because we have to be committed to bringing something good and worthwhile to people. Sure. Um, So the second is consistency. And, you know, especially related to growing an online audience, consistency is critical just because of how noisy it is out in the market. Yeah. And so without consistency, it's really difficult to break through the noise to, to make sure that our content is seen by our audiences. And also it's difficult to develop trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, what I say to authors or what I say to myself is like, you really just have to keep showing up mm-hmm. yeah. and that consistency can ensure that, you know, people remember you, people see you, um, people can access the value that you're offering. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, someone I mentioned in the book is a guy named Dan Rockwell. Dan is a pastor mm-hmm. from rural Pennsylvania. And about 12 years ago, he decided to start writing about leadership. And he mm-hmm. has developed one of the most robust communities of people reading his leadership writing. And he's done it because he's committed to writing a short leadership blog post of 300 words or less every single weekday. And there were some of the years that he did it seven days a week. He publishes at the exact same time every single day. And so people just know it's sort of like, I don't know if you play the Wordle. um, No, everyone in my family does, but I don't. Yeah. I'm so, I'm, so addicted to the wordle, like, (laughs) you know, when you do something like that every day, you grow to expect it. So I'm sure that Dan has built a community because people know they can count on him every single day. They can get up, they can read what he's writing. They can get some inspiration or a thought or a question to ponder for the day. And they can Mm -hmm. grow their leadership one day at a time with Dan as their coach. And they know they can count on that. So consistency is really helpful for that reason. Um, As it relates to longevity, you you know, that really ties into my definition of reach, which is mm-hmm. growing audience and lasting impact. Mm-hmm. You yep. can't have a lasting impact if you don't stick around. Right. Um, so in order to grow reach, you really have to make a long-term commitment to 
showing up with value for people. Um, And that's what ensures that you can have the impact that you want. You know, if you think about the relationships in your life that have had the biggest impact on you, it's the ones that have been there the longest. Yeah, it's true. Did you want to talk about generosity too? I I would love to. That (laughs) that is my favorite one. We save the best for last. Um, Again, to our conversation earlier about is making meaning something that's reserved as a luxury for leaders. You know, sometimes when I talk about generosity, I'm aware that it does cost something. Mm -hmm. And so when I say in order to create reach, you really need to be willing to give away, whether that's time, energy, inspiration, encouragement, content, learning, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not without a cost. Um, And I know I can be generous because I I have abundance. But I I think that generosity is something that anyone can do at Mm -hmm. some level. And generosity is amazing because when we are generous to others, they remember it. Yeah. Um, So as I've been launching my book, I've had people tell me, like, I'll never forget when you did X, Y, Z to help me. Well, guess what? I don't remember. And that's the beauty of generosity. When we give away to others, you know, we might move on and forget about whatever it was that we gave and we don't miss the thing that that we gave away. But that person who received it, for many of them, it's something they will not forget. You know, I actually wanted to mention the Starbucks gift that you sent out an email with um, for the for the launch, and I thought that was really clever and quite generous. And so I just wondered, where did that idea come from? How did you land on that? You know, I can't remember. We've been doing that off and on with different virtual events with our clients for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have stemmed from a client who I've served. His name is Mark Miller. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things Mark says is, well, if, if you're going to have a party, you you got to have like treats or ha- like it has yeah. to be fun. Yeah. And so we came up with the idea of embedding that, Q, you know, the barcode so that people yeah. could get a free drink. What's interesting is people don't want to take advantage of it. Really? So for my party, Hmm. I put $250 on that gift card, Mm -hmm. which, you know, we had 120 people sign up. So Mm -hmm. $250 wasn't really enough for everyone to get a drink, but I was watching it and ready to reload. Yeah. And so far only about half that barcode is gone. Oh my gosh. So it's a gesture almost more than that people will actually take you up on it sometimes. Yeah. Interesting. Oh my gosh. Well, I haven't gotten mine. So, um, so please there's go. one right there. I'm going to yes. go. I'm going to go. Yes, definitely <laughs> yes. go. So it's, it's just a matter of practicality. Like, could I get there before the launch? And I couldn't. And then it's like still in my email. So, um, but it's, I loved it. I thought it was a really nice touch and it stayed in my mind. And so actually I wanted to ask you about it. So it just fit in really perfectly under generosity. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm glad that you liked it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, regarding lasting impact, I was wondering when I read that part um, when about when you launched Weaving Influence, did you have an intention for what kind of impact you wanted to have? And and if you did, has that changed over the years? So that's an such a fun question. I don't know that it's changed a lot, except for that it's grown. Mm-hmm. So originally when I started doing business and supporting authors, I had a pretty narrow vision that it would be a job for me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you at that time, when I was started my own business, I had little kids, I wanted yeah. flexibility. And so when I saw that people would pay me money to advise <laughs> them about their book marketing, I was like, great. Now I know what my career can be. Uh-huh. And it wasn't too long into it that I went to Starbucks with a friend and we were having drinks and talking. And all of a sudden, it was like my eyes were opened. And I was like, wait, 
this friend who's sitting across the table from me, she's a mom who needs a flexible job too. Hmm. And she has skills and talents too. Mm -hmm. So from those first months of the company, what I landed on in terms of my reason for weaving influence existing the way it does was to create opportunities for others. Hmm. So that's the part that hasn't changed. Okay. That has, you know, really been threaded through the whole time that I've been in business. I think, you know, as we've continued on as an organization, I've gotten kind of a bigger vision of like, how can we grow? How can Mm -hmm. we make an impact? Mm -hmm. You know, and some of that has shifted. But when I have to sit down with myself and think about what's the most important thing I'm doing, it's about creating opportunities on three levels. So on one level is opportunities for people to do meaningful work in a flexible way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love it when we can hire new people and expand our team. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, sometimes it's just to replace someone who moves on to something else, but still it's like making a space for someone. And not only just any job, but a job where they really can be encouraged and connected and part of a community. So that Mm -hmm. that really matters to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I also like to create opportunities for the community of people who have followed Weaving Influence to get access to great content. So because Mm -hmm. we support great authors, we have, you know, books coming in the office all the time and um, can share that learning with others. So that's like the second level of the creating opportunities. And then probably the most obvious level is for our clients. We Mm want to create opportunities for them to reach their goals and Mm. grow their influence. So for me, it always comes back to those, that core idea of creating opportunities. Awesome. I love that. So, you know, you speak about how an author must have a ready audience and a foundation before writing a book. And so I'd like to hear a little bit more about, about what that means and how people can go about creating this if they have book writing in mind. Sure. Well, I think plenty of people have dreams of writing books. Um, And I'm sure you meet those people frequently and help them write their books, Lynn. Um, what, What I've noticed is that oftentimes that's the only thing the person is focused on. Hmm. They're only focused on the content that they want to write or um, the book that they hope to publish. Hmm. And it's interesting. Last night, my husband told me about an idea he has for some content. And so my my first question was, hey, are you going to be able to start building an audience so that when that (laughs) content's written, you know, there's someone to read it. But, you know, Um, I just think people don't think about that part. And Mm -hmm. what I want to say is that can be a challenging Mm -hmm. and like long journey to be Mm -hmm. able to create audience. Yeah. And it's, it may not be for everyone. You know, someone, Mm -hmm. some people might want to write a book because it's like a legacy item to share their family story or Mm -hmm. their family recipes or whatever, you know, there are some people and they know when they write the book that it's really only for them an accomplishment they want or for their closest community. Right. So my comments don't necessarily apply to them. Mm -hmm. There are people who can write a book without attracting an audience first. Yeah. But for people who really want to sell, you know, more than a couple of hundred copies of a book or to Mm -hmm. expand audience beyond the people who know them now, um, investing in growing an online presence really can Mm -hmm. help them uh, to be able to expand the potential reach of their book. So I would encourage anyone who's thinking about writing a book to realize that the building process can take can take time and to try as much as possible to use the time that they're writing the book or even time before they start to write the book uh, to grow social media and mm-hmm. email contacts. Yeah. And I do outline how to do that in the book. Yep. But it really does start with 
um, owning your own home online. So having a website, uh, starting to share content of value through your website, using social media as a way to find the people who are interested in your content and hopefully getting those people to give you permission to stay in touch via email, which is really the most reliable way that we have of reaching audiences in digital spaces. Yeah. You know, I teach a class called Creating Your Author Brand, and this is something you talk about a lot in Reach. And so I don't want you to give it all away. I want our listeners to buy the book. Um, But I wonder if you could speak a little bit about how an author can really cultivate that brand. And I know you talk about how you are your brand. Um, You may write different kinds of books over the course of your career. Um, You may have multifaceted interests. And so it can be really hard to hone in on a very focused brand that is consistent and, and relatable, that people know exactly who and what you are. So I wonder if you have a couple of tips that you would offer in that regard. Sure. So the the first thing that I would offer is, you know, what's the thing that you most want to be known for? Or is there some kind of unifying idea that can pull together the disparate parts of your interests? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that what's important is when people come to your website, for example, that they can very quickly see who you are, what you're about, you know, even if if it's, it's a few things, but it's memorable and meaningful to them, mm-hmm. because that mm-hmm. can help them figure out if you're someone they should pay attention to and follow and listen to and whether or not you have value for them. Mm-hmm. So there are there are a few ways of getting to that, you know, one is to ask people, you know, what do you think I'm good at? Or, mm. you know, what do you think I'm an expert at? And see mm-hmm. if it matches up with what you hope to write about or, mm. you know, at one of your topics. So you can start by finding that out, you know, at, at this moment in time, who do people think I am? Or, you know, what do they remember me for? Sure. And I, I think sometimes we think we're clearer than we are. Oh, yeah, for sure. And when you start to ask those questions, you can find out, oh, well, that's not quite it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, another exercise that I try to do is I walk people through thinking about nouns and verb and then audiences. Mm-hmm. So nouns would be, you know, like, who am I? Like, I'm a marketer or I'm a runner or I'm an author mm-hmm. coach. Mm-hmm. Um, verbs would be, well, what do I do? Do I inspire or educate? Do I coach Mm -hmm. or train or consult or Mm -hmm. whatever that is? And then who do I do it for? You know, I coach authors, Mm -hmm. you know, to grow Mm -hmm. their influence and coming up with a few of those, what I call what I do statements by stringing Uh together the noun, the verb and the audience can really help you get clarity about what your brand can be or how how to bring some cohesion to your brand. Um, so I understand that your publisher did not say yes the first time you pitched the book idea. And so I think it's really heartening for our, our listeners to hear about that experience and what it what it taught you and and how you came back and refined that pitch. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yes, and it wasn't necessarily the same pitch, and I think that's the thing that makes the most sense to me on this side of the story. Mm-hmm. So, I think that when I first got started and I was really new in my business, I wasn't necessarily humble enough to know that I wasn't ready yet. (laughs) You know, I didn't have enough experience to bring to a book. I didn't Mm -hmm. have enough audience yet to market a book to. I didn't, I had an approach to marketing to be sure, but Mm -hmm. like I didn't have the established network that I have now. Mm -hmm. And I remember it it wasn't a formal proposal that I submitted a few times and got rejected. It was more of like an exploratory conversation. The first time I sat in person in the editor's office, office and said, Hey, here's my idea. Yeah. And he was like, interesting, but no, you know, <laughs> um, 
And I'm sure the second or third time was like that too. I remember one time I I ran into the the same editor who eventually took my proposal and accepted it at mm-hmm. a conference and said, "Hey, can we sit down?" I like it didn't quite work last time, but I have a new approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I think patience is really helpful. And then you know it's hard when you when you think you have a great idea to be told no, mm-hmm. and may, maybe you can't know it in that moment. But the thing to know is like don't give up. I uh, coached an author. Um, not long ago. And uh, she had self-published her first book and she was wanting to publish her second book. She's about 15 years younger than me. And so I worked with her. I looked at her book proposal. I introduced her to my editor and you know, we actually were on a call with the editor and he thought the idea sounded great and was willing to look at the proposal. And then when she sent the proposal and she got a no, you know, she was very disappointed, but also resilient And I think it's hard to hear, like, you know, give yourself some time, you know, um, keep working on it. But I would just say to anyone who's in that, that situation, for one thing, there's plenty of flexible opportunities and getting a no from a traditional publisher doesn't mean you can't publish a book. And what I like to see is for people to just start sharing content, even if they don't have a book deal yet, like go through the steps, like create a blog or create a podcast or create a video series, do something Mm -hmm. to put the content that you're most passionate about out into the world and see how it lands with people, Mm -hmm. you know, get some feedback, hear from people, hey, this is useful. That wasn't so great. Be open and humble enough to receive that input and then continue to adapt and refine your work. That's great advice. Well, as we near the end of our interview, I wonder what's on the horizon. I know your book just came out, but of course, that's the the natural question of like, is there a second book in the works? Do you have a vision of like a book a year for the rest of your life? Like, what do you think is ahead uh, for Becky Robinson? Oh, uh, Lynn, thank you so much for asking. <laughs> well, so one of the things that's tickled me on this journey is when friends and colleagues have said it's Becky Robinson's first book, Reach. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because that does like seem to indicate that there will be more. You know, mm-hmm. I would love the privilege of writing another book. I also believe every book needs room to breathe. So I'm excited about what's next with this book of mm-hmm. looking for more opportunities to share the message with a growing audience. And, mm-hmm. you know, I wake up every day with new ideas of, oh, I need to contact, you know, this person and see if I can do a presentation because their audience might really benefit from the content. There's a danger though, I think in getting tired of our own content sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, talk about the same concepts on 16 or 18 podcasts. I don't want it to get stale to me. Like I want to continue to think about these topics so that when I come to new conversations, I can be fresh and energetic because I do think the concepts that I talk about are pretty timeless. Absolutely. All of that said, I guess like I have started to think about what the second book might be. Um, My favorite chapter in the current book is chapter seven, which is Mm -hmm. the content about uh, repurposing your content, how our content is a flexible asset that we can repurpose and reuse in various ways. And toward the end of the chapter, I talk about the best thing to repurpose is to repurpose our lives and Mm. to bring our various experiences to life in ways that can serve others. Um, So I don't have a very like clear idea yet, but I'm, I think the kernels of the next book are in chapter seven. Mm, that's really exciting. I just got chills. I love that. <laughs> very, very cool. You're the well, first to hear it. <laughs> oh, well, and then our listeners are going to hear it too. So that's awesome. We're going to get this out in the world. Well, Becky Robinson, um, it's just such a delight to talk with you. I'm very excited about your book. It's sitting on my desk and I'm all marked up. And I just am really thrilled to have you on the Make Meaning podcast. I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity, Lynn. And I hope that the book will add value for your audiences. 
Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world. And please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more at makemeaning.org or lynngaladner.com.